what a joy it is to be in God's house this morning, and I uh, hope that you're excited about being in God's house this morning. Um, thank you for getting up early. Uh, I'm always impressed with the nine o'clock crowd. I got to be honest with you. Um, anybody can get up, uh, you know, by ten o'clock and make it here by eleven. But man, you you, it took effort. So thank you. Um, I realize that most of you are not awake. Um, but that's okay. I'll give you plenty of reasons to probably sleep in just a few moments. Um, I had the opportunity this week to go to our veterans' home and uh, uh, be with our, our, our veterans. And um, while I was there, a real dear friend of mine, a uh, longtime member of North Oxford Baptist Church, Mr. Bill Strickland, uh, had reached out to me and several other ministers in our community and, and asked us would we come and, and participate with him in a worship service at the VA. And so usually when pastors are asked to come to that, we know that we're either going to read scripture, or we're going to pray, or we're going to ask to preach at the last minute. No, we weren't asked to do any of that. He just wanted to introduce us to his friends. He was so proud to introduce us to his friends. So then it came time for the service, and he put a DVD uh, into the uh, DVD system and a uh, big flat screen TV, and old, a- old Adrian Rogers, okay, began to preach. And uh, I say old Adrian Rogers, because he, he's with the Lord now, and, um, but it was just so awesome to hear that sermon. And uh, I walked away from that, and I said, God, please give me understanding of God's Word like Adrian has, but God, please don't give me such a soothing voice that Adrian has, because I, I caught myself sitting there in that chair several times and finding myself dozing off as he spoke over me uh, and as he taught. And so this morning, if all of a sudden I just yell, okay, um, I'm yelling to make sure that you're awake because you didn't get up early to, so that I could uh, say something with such a soothing voice. And I know my family will let me know this uh, quick enough that I don't have a soothing voice, so none of you are probably going to go to sleep. But um, I was, I, I encouraged, I text our, our guys in the back and I said, if you don't mind this morning, if you'll bring the house lights up just a little bit for me, because I just want to be able to see them. But in all reality, that's just so that you can't sleep. Okay. And get away with it. All right. I'll pick at you. I'll pick about one other thing. When I was at North Oxford, uh, we traditional church, of course, and we had a choir in our eight thirty service and it was always fun. Um, there was a particular individual, real dear friend of mine. Uh, he's in the catering business, and he always fed the football team and blessed his heart. On Sunday mornings after a late game like last night, you would see him not just leaned over, y'all. I'm ta- and, and, and he and I pick at each other about this. I'm talking about laid out, okay? And, and I mean just snoring to the point that the preacher would get louder and louder, and the snoring would only get louder and louder. So if somebody snores this morning, just elbow them for me this morning because I want to make sure that you don't miss what God has for us this morning. But again, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, If you haven't been with us in a a few weeks or you're just visiting today, uh, we have been in a series um, 
not really uh, intentionally, but we had finished up um, our time in God's Word together, and instead of and starting a new series, we decided to kind of take a little bit of a break, and uh, we just finished up the book of Exodus this summer and earlier in the semester, and so we kind of dived into this idea of our identity, that there is a creator, and that identifies our identity as creation. Uh, there is God's Word, and that identifies us as what God's Word says about us. There is a man named Jesus, and he came to save us from our sins, and he's fully man yet fully God, and our identity is in Christ. And then we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and our identity is in the Spirit. And so now as we continue this idea of identity, now we have taken it a step further and we have begun this um, study on fighting the battle for our identity. And so last week we looked at the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. So just out of way of reminder, I want to read that over us this morning. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over the present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up your shield of faith, and that which will ex- can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. I love Paul's humility here. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so this morning, just as a way of reminder I encouraged us last week, number one, to know how to fight our battle. And then I challenged us at the end of our service last week, and we will have this same challenge again this week, to to begin to pray for that one person in our life that doesn't know Christ, that God would give us words to proclaim the gospel clearly to those people. And I can't wait to hear the testimonies of those people that we're praying for, the testimonies of those stories of people coming to know Christ because we prayed for them. And today, we are going to continue our discussion in fighting the battle for our identity. And this morning, we're going to look at a prayer and its role in this battle. A few minutes ago, I read the Matthews account during our scripture time, and I want us now to look at Luke's account. If you're new to the Bible, Matthew is the first gospel in the New Testament. There are four gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not trying to speak that over you as if I, um, of someone of great wisdom or, or great intelligence or, or understand it completely, but I know this, that the gospels is what Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are called, and the reason they're called the gospels is because they teach us what the gospel is. 
And so in our text just a few moments ago, I read over you the Matthew account of the the Lord's Prayer. But this morning, as we break down the Lord's Prayer, I want to look at Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the power of your word. God, I was just in a discussion on Friday with a friend of mine who was concerned about something uh, that was going on with me and with our church. And he was so afraid, God, of what might happen to our church. And I just simply said to him, God, I believe and I am praying that God will see it through. And Father God, I'm thankful today that you hear our prayers. God, I pray this morning that as we talk about prayer, God, that we would quit talking about prayer and that we would actually begin to pray to you. Father God, you've heard every story and every excuse of why we don't pray. This morning, God, may you convict us and convince us why to pray and that there's power in prayer. And so, God, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, I pray that words may be given to me as I open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of your gospel this morning. And, God, may I be your ambassador. Hide me behind your cross. Forgive me of my sins. Clean me up and use me as a vessel today. And, God, may you show up and you show out in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? As we dive into Luke this morning... Before we dive into Luke chapter 11, I want us to look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. One of the reasons that we teach books of the Bible here at Community, one of the reasons that we try to go chapter by chapter and verse by verse is too often, I don't know if you know this or not, but too often preachers have a, a tendency in really almost a habit, and it, not, it might not necessarily be a good habit, to just pull text out of the Bible and then make a topic or a sermon series based on them pulling Scripture out of the text instead of teaching the text. And I'm not saying that to point fingers. I'm saying that for us, it is important for us to teach God's Word because if we're not careful, we will get in the way of God's Word. Do you hear me, church? And so this morning, I want you to see that the reason I'm going back to the end of chapter 10 before we dive in the beginning of chapter 11 is that we need to see what's going on here in the book of Luke. So there is a very familiar encounter that is taking place here at the end of Luke chapter 10, and I hope that you see it this morning. It says in verse 38 of chapter 10, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Listen to verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone and tell her then to help me? Just a quick side note. I want you to understand that I was the best at this right here growing up. If my brother didn't do what we were supposed to do mama didn't have to know that he wasn't doing it I was coming to proclaim to her he was not doing what he was supposed to do some might have called me a tattletale 
Somebody told me that all I, all I wanted to do was pay attention to what my brother was doing instead of what I was doing. You, you get the picture. Are you with me? And what we see here in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. But look at verse 39. But she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? My sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. I love this because, look, so many of us go to our earthly father and our earthly mother, and we go, do you not see that so-and-so's not doing this? Do you not see that so-and-so's not serving? Do you not see that so-and-so is not telling people about Jesus? Do you not see what so-and-so's doing and what so-and-so's saying? And it's almost like she pulls the Jesus card and she says, oh, if anybody can get my sister to do this, it's Jesus. And church, all I want to say to you this morning is, is this. If Jesus could get us to do anything he wanted us to do, you and I would pray a lot more than we pray. But look at what Jesus says to her. Verse 41, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion Will not, will not, which will not be taken away from her. I want to go back to verse 41. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Church, I think one of the reasons that we miss out on prayer so often, one of the reasons that we miss out that God has given us this unbelievable connection, this unbelievable access, this unbelievable opportunity, this unbelievable privilege, this unbelievable humility to be able to speak to God, to talk to God, to have conversation with God because we are anxious as the scripture says, as he says to Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Look at what Philippians 4, 6 says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Church, I am convinced this morning that one of the reasons many of us, including myself, do not pray is because we are anxious and troubled about many things. But listen to Jesus' response. He says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Here's what I want you to see this morning before we dive into the Lord's Prayer. Then in verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And then verse 42 says, but the one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Church, what I want you to understand this morning is, is because of our faith, because of our salvation, because of our relationship, Christ has given us access access to the Father, and if we will sit at Jesus' feet, if we will talk to Jesus, if we will hang out with Jesus, that will not be taken away. Do you get that this morning? Like, for real, do you get that this morning? God the Father has given you access to the kingdom, and we're going to dive into that in just a minute, but he is giving you and I access to the kingdom through his son Jesus, but we are too anxious and troubled with everything that doesn't matter instead of being 
hung up and caught up and fighting up and battling up for that which does matter. This is going to hurt because it hurt me when I wrote it down. Some of us are more worried about being a coach in our recliner instead of being a gospel taker in our everyday life. Some of us are more concerned about telling everybody else how they should live their life while they sit on the sidelines of life and God has invited you and I to be a part of the game, but we are content to sit and mumble and grumble about things that should change and we haven't asked God about it. I'm guilty. Can I just be real honest with you? All the servers that we need in our church, I'm looking at them right now. This is not a guilt trip thing. This is a, this is a point in the finger of fish thing. But how, when's the last time I prayed for you specifically that God would change your heart and break your heart and call you to serve instead of me begging you to serve? And somebody will say to me, man, you, you took a shot. I, I didn't take a shot. I'm taking a shot at myself because if I want you to serve, I need to pray for you. If you're serving for me or the person to the left of you or the right of you or in front of you or behind you, you are serving for the wrong reason. The same reason that Matthew's account of the gospel of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray in secret because your God who's in secret will see what you do in secret and he will respond to what you do in secret. And I get it. Some of you are like, man, you are such an oxymoron. Meaning, I'm saying one thing, but I'm doing something totally different. You say don't pray with these big words and all that. Man, if you really hear my prayers, it's really, really simple prayers. I just happen to be a little bit passionate about who I'm talking to. I don't know if you know this or not, but who you pray to matters. Look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, and John taught his disciples. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray. Church, I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you like me? Have you gotten so into podcasts and all those different things that you're listening to all these different stories and messages and shows and watching all these different movies and documentaries and all that kind of stuff? And we're trying to learn, okay? True story, uh, my Dodge pickup truck that my brother-in-law was so gracious to give me a few years ago um, has been giving me some trouble, okay? For you that are going to make jokes about a Dodge, can I be honest with you? My brother-in-law gave me the truck, okay? free. Matter of fact, I didn't know what I did to my brother-in-law. I don't know if your life works this way, but when your brother-in-law says, I want to give you something, you're like, what did I do? Like, like for real, what did I do? Like, did I do something wrong? I mean, like you're giving me a truck 
And come to find out, he didn't give me the truck. He actually gave Adam and Caleb the truck because the truck I was driving at the time was a 92 Chevrolet pickup truck that had a single bench seat on it. And so therefore, my boys, I don't know if you noticed, but they've become grown men overnight, okay, physically. And, and so the, he was so embarrassed for my two boys that they had to ride in a pickup truck with me on the same bench. So you know what my brother-in-law gave me? He gave me a natural opportunity for Adam and Caleb to fight over who gets shotgun in my new four-door truck. But this week, it was, well, not just this week. Honestly, for about three months, I would go to crank it, and then it would click. And then I'd go to crank it again, and it would crank. And so this week, uh, actually over the past couple of weeks, I've been watching YouTube videos to figure out what's wrong with my vehicle. Just so you know, it was the ignition switch is what they told me. It was not the ignition switch. Then they told me it was a starter. It was not the starter. Then they told me it was the battery. It was not the battery. It was a cable running from the starter to the battery, and that was the problem the whole time. And you know why I did not fix my truck for three months? Because the starter for my truck was $156. And before you think I'm poor mouthing, I had $156 to buy my starter. I'm just cheap because it's a Dodge with 225,000 miles on it, and it was free. And so, therefore, I'm a little selfish that it won't crank. And so, finally, Thursday, I was supposed to have a meeting with a friend of mine over coffee, my truck wouldn't crank. I had to call him and say, hey, bro, I'm not going to make it. Then I was supposed to take Hopper, the cool guy that plays the guitar up here that you think he's singing, but he's not really singing. He's actually talking to the rest of the band through that microphone. And so I was supposed to take him lunch, and I had to call him and let him know that my truck was broke. So finally, after click, 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 and after YouTube video, after YouTube video, after YouTube video, I just said, Lord, if you don't mind, a brother needs to get to work. I turned it, it cranked up, drove it into town, parked in the parking lot of the church, put it up on ramps, climbed up under there and looked in there and said, mm, where do I start? And my boy Sean walked out the front of the door. He said, what's wrong with it? They told me it was ignition switch, and I went through all that. And for the next hour and a half, slacks, nice shoes on, takes off his button down, climbs up under that truck with me, takes all of it apart. We go get the parts, we fix it. And guess what, y'all, this morning, I didn't have to ask God to part, crank my Dodge. It cranked. I say that to say this. We will look at everybody and everybody to teach us something. And Jesus' disciples looked at him and said, Lord, will you teach us to pray the way, John's the way John taught his disciples to pray? And I want you to understand something. I'm so grateful for Sean being willing to help me fix my truck. But we have the master of all mechanics, of all situations, of all stories, of all circumstances that wants to teach us how to do something. But we're too anxious and caught up with the troubles of life that we miss out on what God's trying to teach us. Look at Luke chapter 11, because we got to go quicker, because I chased a squirrel. I don't know if you noticed that or not. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. 
and he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are, in, are, are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. We don't have time to look at that for a second, but can I just share something with you? It must have been a bad night to be in bed, and all my kids are in bed with me. I'm just saying. There was different times they lived in one-room houses. I get that. I'm just saying, man, I'd have to build something over here for the kids to stay in because I'm going to have to sleep in my own bed. But it says, and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because he is impudence, hard word, He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. What what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And here's what I want us to see as we break this down very quickly. The first thing I want us to see, and I want to thank uh, crosspoint.com this morning for so much truth in this. Out of one of my daily uh, devotions that I do on my Bible app, lots of this came from that, so I want to make sure I give them credit. The first we must recognize, the first thing we must do is we must recognize God. Look at what it says. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray... Say, Father. Notice in this verse, he doesn't say, my Father, but in in, in the original text, he says, our Father. The very next thing Jesus, Jesus emphasizes is his holiness of the one to whom we are praying. God's name is described in the original Greek as hallowed or hallowed, excuse me, meaning blessed, sacred, revered, revered, and respected above all other names. So here's how he starts out. Father, hallowed be your name. So what he's saying is he's not saying, hey, just your father or my father. He's saying our father, our father, hallowed be your name. He is saying, hey, when you pray, you are not praying just to any God as our brothers and sisters in China pray. You are praying to the one true God because God will actually hear what what you are praying. Here's my concern. Many of us don't believe that God's going to answer the prayer that we pray before we pray it. And so can I tell you something, church? God's probably not going to answer your prayer because you don't believe that he'll answer your prayer. And you're going like, hey, man, that's jacked up. Uh, that's, that's jacked up theology. And no, no, it's not. The word says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll move a mountain. You go, I ain't never seen a mountain move because you ain't ever had that kind of faith. But he says, when he teaches them to pray, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. The first thing we got to do when we pray is we got to recognize who God is. He's our Father and he's a holy God that is above all other gods. Secondly, we must see his kingdom come. Look at what it says. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Because of Christ and the sacrifice he made of himself, For humanity's sake, the return of God's kingdom is not a matter of when, uh, is a matter of when and not if, excuse me. 
Because of Christ's sacrifice, he made himself for humanity's sake. The return of God's kingdom is a matter of when, not if. Mark 1.15 says this, And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the first thing we've got to do is recognize God. Father, hallowed be your name. Secondly, we must see his kingdom come. We as believers must therefore recognize this part of the Lord's Prayer, not as wishful thinking, but rather as a very real intimate climax to all human history. This kingdom come was set in motion at Calvary. Fall in Genesis chapter 3. No hope, no hope, no hope. Finally, Jesus shows up in a manger through a virgin named Mary and a daddy named Joseph who happened to be a carpenter. And guess what? God began to set into motion his kingdom come at Bethlehem, at Calvary, at Easter, at the resurrection. And guess what? When he comes back again to get us, his kingdom come. Let me ask you a question, church. Are you praying for his kingdom to come? I don't know if you've watched TV lately. You better get to praying for his kingdom to come. I think like so many people in this room, I'm so worried about my retirement that I forget that my retirement is in heaven, not on earth. First, we must recognize God. Second, we must see his kingdom. Third, we must understand his will, not ours. Look at what it says. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come doesn't say it right here, but in the Matthew account that we saw earlier, and your will be done. We human beings make ridiculous habits of thinking we can bend God to our own will. Sure, we'll pray these words, thy will be done. But what we really are hoping is that we can convince God to do what we want. Then, of course, we're disappointed when God doesn't come through. Look at James 4, verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. First, we have to recognize God. Second, we must see his kingdom come. Third, we must understand it's his will, not ours. And fourth, we must see God's provisions. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus sets guidelines for lifestyle that many modern prosperity-driven Christians are uncomfortable accepting. The nation of com- the notion of complete and cl- total dependence on God for all of our physical and financial needs is like overwhelming. What he's saying here, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us today our daily bread is saying this, that when we pray, we are praying to a God that can provide every need we have. But my concern with us about that is, is that we have a confusion about what a need is versus a want. So let's just real quickly rewind back to the 2004 Dodge pickup with 225,000 miles on it. First of all, it's a miracle of God that a Dodge has 225,000 miles on it in the first place. Second of all, it's still running is an unbelievable miracle. Third, my brother-in-law gave me the truck. Do we need to discuss that miracle again? And fourth, here's the deal. Many of y'all got upset at me when I rode around town with a red hood because you could recognize who I was in it, and then I decided to paint it with a can of spray paint, and you had the audacity to question who painted it. Could you not tell that I painted it? 
You see, church, I could probably go buy a new truck. Not a new, new truck, new to me. But I don't like debt. So I'd rather it click, 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 and then it finally crank. And I'm not saying that on Thursday when I pray, God, would you please let my truck crank, that God didn't hear that prayer. Because somebody's going to go out in the parking lot and your car is going to go click and you're going to pray to God and ask God to crank your car and he's not going to crank your car and you're going to go, God doesn't love me like he loves fish. Because church, maybe God's trying to teach us something through why our vehicles won't crank. Because we're too anxious and troubled with things that don't matter. Instead of the opportunity that God gave me and Sean to get greasy together, to work together, to do life together because we hadn't done it in a while, because we've both been too busy doing life and work and ministry, and God put us on our backs together, and guess what? We got to work together. We got to eat lunch together. We even got to minister to AutoZone together, didn't we, Sean? be a great place to put AutoZone right over there on University Avenue, just letting y'all know. They're supposed to have this little thing that tests things. Theirs didn't work. I'm sorry. I bet you are. Y'all need to pray for your preacher. Scripture says, give us today our daily bread, meaning God's provisions. He will provide all of our needs. Fifth, we must, for, we must see that forgiveness is a two-way street. Man, y'all go ahead and make your way back up. We must see that forgiveness is a two-way street. Jesus instructs his prayers in this prayer in Luke chapter 11, verse 4. He said, and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. On the one hand, we pray for our own forgiveness, knowing that absolution is assured for those who belong to him and seek him with continued remorseful hearts. But coupled with seeking our personal forgiveness is a caveat that we must also forgive those who have wronged us. I don't know if you know this or not, church, but we love God to forgive us. Can I get an amen? Some of y'all lying. And forgive us our sins. And then it says, and for, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted in us. Do you understand what that's saying? If you truly want forgiveness. And I don't know who this is for this morning. It's probably for me. But I got to believe it's for some of the rest of us too. We keep asking God to forgive us, and we keep asking God to forgive us, and we want to know, man, why do we keep picking that sin back up? Why do we keep picking that thing back up? And God, is like, it's like on a billboard. Fish, you keep asking for forgiveness, but you're not willing to forgive this little petty thing. And here's the other thing. It might be something big, but can I tell you something, church? Your sin's big, too, that God forgave you for. Forgiveness is a two-way street. And then finally, to resist will not be easy. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins and I, and, and for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indeed are indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. The last part of the Lord's Prayer is perhaps the most confusing. For those who remember the old King James Version, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The wording in Luke eleven four comes across as a bit contradictory to the nature of God. After all, is it not God's good and holy nature to lead us in the direction of sin?
Part of the confusion stems from the misunderstanding of the original text in which the Gospels were translated. A better interpretation of this portion of the Lord's Prayer might be, do not leave us alone to face temptation. Jesus says as much when he instructed his disciples on the Mount of Olives, pray that you will not give in to temptation, Luke twenty-two forty. In this context, the nature of Jesus' prayer instruction makes, it a lot, makes a lot more sense. All men are tempted to sin after all, but never so greatly those who seek God's help cannot be led past. Temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you. That, that is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And then Hebrews 2.18 says this, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So church, here's what I want you to see this morning. If we're going to fight this battle of our identity, it's got to be fought on our knees and we've got to recognize who God is. Father, hallowed be your name. We've got to secondly understand it's his kingdom come, your kingdom come. As the Matthew account says, and your will be done, not ours. We must third see his will, not ours. Fourth, we must understand forgiveness is a two-way street. We must ask for forgiveness, but we also must forgive others as well. And then finally, we must learn to resist the evil one. My prayer this morning is this, church, is that too many of us in this room are content with living life slap-dab in the middle of our sin and our struggles our, our kingdom-mindedness, our will-mindedness. I'm not forgiving him. He's going to forgive me first before I ever forgive him. Just yesterday, conversation about forgiveness. Church, can I tell you something? Forgiveness is hard. You know why forgiveness is hard? Because we're selfish. Well, if I forgive, they win. Church, I've had it messed up for so long. They don't win. God does. Just a few weeks ago, in a trial in Dallas, Texas, a young woman who had made a very, very bad decision as a professional law enforcement officer who had been called to the scene of an incident. And, and, and even, it, she hadn't, actually wasn't called to the scene of the incident. She was the neighbor of this person, and she went into her, the wrong apartment. And because of her anxiousness and her troubledness, took a man's life. In church, she deserved punishment for that. That's not political, that's just truth. You can't accidentally take somebody's life because you accidentally were in the wrong place. And guess what? She was found guilty, and she will have to do time for that. But a beautiful, beautiful experience happened in that courtroom. The young man who was murdered, his little brother, took the stand. Many of you have seen this on social media. If you haven't, I would encourage you to look it up this afternoon. 
The boy's mother says that he's an introvert. This is not his personality. This is not who he is. He is not someone that would do this. But the video goes where he turns and looks at the judge and says, may I speak to her? The judge says, sure. Later in the video, he begs the judge, can I just give her a hug? And he simply looks at her and says, I don't hate you. I'm not even mad at you. Now, don't get me wrong. It hurts that my brother is dead and that I won't get to spend my days with him. But I need you to understand that I was once guilty and God forgave me through his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that I forgive you as well. Millions upon millions of people have seen that video. But church, it's so sad that it takes horrific moments for forgiveness to take place. And then if we're going through something similar to that, we don't understand because we are the guilty party why they won't forgive us. Church, I want to ask you to bow just for a second. And I want to ask you a question. Have you been forgiven this morning? Because church, when you see what Christ did for you on the cross, forgiving you of, in your mind, the little sin, because sin is sin, church, don't get it twisted. But have you been forgiven this morning? I mean like truly forgiven. Like came to the place of your understanding that your life is helpless and useless and worthless without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ then if you can identify yourself as a forgiven person this morning, then God's Word says you've got to forgive others. So this morning for you, I want to ask God to give you the strength and the power to forgive whoever it is you need to forgive. And then whoever you offer that forgiveness to, I pray this morning that they would receive that forgiveness. But secondly, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we don't do this often at community, but we're going to do it this morning. There's some of you in this room that the reason you're so anxious and you're so troubled is because you've never truly experienced forgiveness. And last week when I challenged us to pray for somebody else that, might they, that they might come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit hit you then and the Holy Spirit's hitting you now and you know that the person that you needed to be praying for was yourself. And so I want to pray this morning that if you're here today and you've never accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of your salvation. Met with a mentor of mine this week, and he taught me this. He says, you know what? I don't have to pray a special prayer. Matter of fact, Fish, when I gave my life to Christ, he said, I just said, God, you know my stuff, and you know what I need, so save me. And church, I believe with all my heart, if you pray it just that way, God, you know my stuff. You know what I need. Save me. I believe that Scripture says that if we place our faith and our trust in Jesus and we confess our sins to him, that he will save us. This morning, I pray for your salvation. Father God, I thank you this morning for how you love us. God, I thank you that forgiveness is available to every person in this room. And God, I pray this morning for those that will come to know Christ in these moments. God, for those who will receive forgiveness and for those who will give forgiveness. God, have your way in these moments. In Jesus' name.
And all God's people said, hey, will you stand with us?